Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Today is the last Sunday in the church year. We don't have that uh, block of text to go in the hymn board, so that's why it's blank. But today is the last Sunday of the church year. And it continues today, uh, we continue the eschatological theme from last Sunday. You'll recall that Jesus prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem and then the destruction of the entire world when he returns. In our lesson today, we see the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, and it points to the consummation of his kingdom. To start with, I want to consider the parallel accounts of the crucifixion, which we have from Matthew and from Mark. So if you're reading through the daily lectionary readings right now, we just went through the same uh, crucifixion account from Matthew this this week. Um, But I'll start with Mark. Mark 15 records, uh, uh, says, and with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. Mark doesn't provide much more detail, but then Matthew 27 does. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Matthew continues also to say, And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. At first glance, this might appear to contradict what Luke records, because Matthew tells us that the uh, that both robbers reviled Jesus Christ. Uh, But Luke says, uh, records the interaction of them where one reviles him and the other speaks to him in faith and trust. So it looks like a contradiction, but it is not, and I'll explain. At the very beginning of Luke's gospel, you can go to Luke 1 and read. Right in the beginning, there's a prologue. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. In other words, Luke acknowledges in his prologue, he acknowledges other gospels that had been written, Matthew and Mark, and he, uh, but he says he wants to bring out more details, which is what he's doing. And this is just what he's done here in this, in this case. There were two criminals, one on the left and one on the right. They both mocked and reviled Jesus, just like the rulers and the soldiers that were there mocked and reviled him. But then there was a turn. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. That's not the turn yet. The turn is coming. But the point is they were both mocking and ridiculing him and then later they did not both mock and ridicule. But so he said, uh, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Notice that he said, save us. So he was speaking for him and the other criminal. Save us. He made assumptions of the Christ 
when he asked him, are you not the Christ? Because if Jesus were the Christ, then he assumed that he would have both the power and the will to save himself. And that he would also save these criminals from their impending death. They're all on the cross, all three of them. But the cross was always the goal. It was always the end of Jesus journeying toward Jerusalem. Over this past year, as we've gone through lectionary, uh, the lectionary, the series C, which focuses on the gospel of Luke, you might recall how many times Luke has said that Jesus was journeying towards Jerusalem. Or it would say he was uh, he had his face set toward Jerusalem. And, and the point that Luke was making is that very early on in, in Jesus' ministry, he turned his face toward Jerusalem, which is to say he turned toward the cross and he began his journey toward the cross. And that is what Luke is bringing out this whole time through the whole gospel. He's showing us that Jesus is moving onward toward the cross. Well, that's the goal. This is the goal where he has now arrived at the cross. He has now arrived and the final act of Jesus' earthly ministry culminates here in Jerusalem on a cross in which he is numbered with the transgressors. That's from Isaiah 53, 12. That prophecy is fulfilled right here because here he is numbered with the transgressors right between two criminals and Jesus is put up on the cross there. He has now made it to the goal of his ministry where he will make propitiation for the sins of the people, where he will bear our griefs and carry our sorrows, even while we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Indeed, even as the people crucified him, Jesus prayed to God the Father, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They didn't know what they were doing. Now, they knew that they were crucifying a man. They knew that. They understood they were crucifying him. But what they didn't understand is that they were crucifying the very Lord of life. You know what's even more than that? (laughs) They didn't know that he was suffering at their hands for their sake, that he was actually dying for the people who were crucifying him. Think about that. Just let that permeate you and just dwell in that for a moment. Father, forgive them. And this prayer was answered. Preaching after the resurrection, Peter said to his Jewish brothers, and now brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers. He's referring to their crucifixion of Christ. He's saying, I know that you acted in ignorance. Just like Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. See, the assumption that Jesus the Christ had the power to escape the cross is not correct nor is the assumption that he had the will to escape. Jesus had the will of God the Father, which was to lay down his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was, in fact, powerless to save himself, 
because he could not do other than the Father's will, which was to die on the cross and save the world. It was to die for those who were crucifying him. It was to die for you and for me. Now, I want to consider the second criminal. He had also mocked Jesus initially, as we see from Matthew's gospel. But then he bore witness of the suffering of Christ on the cross. He actually saw firsthand Christ's suffering on the cross. And he saw this prayer of forgiveness. Lord, forgive them. They know not what they do. In which Jesus interceded for those who were crucifying him. And the criminal received faith. He received faith by the gospel that Jesus Christ died for his sins. The gospel was actually right there before his eyes as Jesus hung on the cross. So in faith, he rebuked the other criminal who had presumed to speak for him because remember, the other criminal said, Jesus, save us. Speak for yourself. Speak for yourself. He says, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we, the two of us, indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. This man has done nothing wrong. He may not have even realized just how true those words were. Jesus did nothing worthy of crucifixion, but even beyond that, he did nothing wrong, period. Jesus was sinless. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might have, might become the righteousness of God. That's what Paul teaches us in 2 Corinthians 5. God made Jesus to become sin for us. Jesus didn't carry his own sin to the cross. He carried your sin to the cross. The criminal lived a life worthy of condemnation and which culminated in his being crucified on that day. He even acknowledged it, that the crimes that he had committed were worthy of this fitting end, this ignominious death on the cross. He acknowledged that. We deserve this. He doesn't, but we deserve this. So he's getting what he deserved. And he knows that he's going to die. But in faith, a faith that he has received from the gospel, right there before him, Jesus dying on the cross, he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He confessed that Jesus's kingdom was coming and he asked to be remembered in it. Remember me, Jesus. Don't blot out my name, but do please blot out my sin. Remember me. That's what he's saying when he says, remember me. How about you? Have you come to the place where you realize that you can't be righteous enough For God's kingdom? Have you come to the realization that you are not perfect? Worse, perhaps you've come to realize that you were right there alongside every one of those people who condemned Christ to die. In fact, they're no more guilty than you are. 
because Jesus died for our sins. We all share that guilt of crucifying the Lord of life. But hear the words of Jesus Christ to the criminal. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was not too late for this man to repent. It's not too late for anyone to repent, for that matter. Indeed, our life uh, is one of daily repentance, as Dr. Luther says. But Jesus' word of forgiveness is immediate. He says, today. And that looks forward also to the final consummation of his kingdom. I mean, his kingdom exists outside of time. It's, I know it's hard to comprehend, to like wrap your head around this, which is okay. But today is immediate. It, your sins are forgiven today. You will be with me in paradise today. And today is part of created time. So to us, sometimes things, you know, things look like, like Jesus' coming kingdom looks like it's way off in the future. Well, it is, but then also consider that his kingdom is eternal. So today is within eternity. So the forgiveness of sins that you receive today is received within eternity. But forgiveness is given today. Today, you have confessed your sins. Today, you remember your baptism. Every time we make the sign of the cross, we remember, I'm baptized. Today, you receive this blessed sacrament where Christ comes to you in body and in blood, saying those same words of forgiveness given and shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Today, you're forgiven, redeemed, and remembered in his kingdom. Thanks be to God. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.